0: Well, good morning from my side too, and to all the slackers, on, I mean all the other people that are online. It is wonderful. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Mostly. Mostly. It is, good to, it is good to be with you. I do want to mention, by the way, and this is not only for those of you that are present, but those of you that maybe are joining us online. Um, the one thing that in my opinion is impossible to experience the same online as opposed to in person is worship. Uh, in terms of knowledge, teaching. Uh, again, I still think it gives us a certain level of space and focus when we're in the place. But, but worship is the one thing that I just think we need space, we need presence, um, we need to be focused. And so I can't encourage you enough to take advantage of the evenings that we're doing at the moment on Sunday night. So come and join us tonight or next week. Um, and yeah, we just, I always want to be very careful in terms of declaring certain expectations, but I want to say that, that I am deeply encouraged and moved with the potential of just creating space for God, where, where we just give Him space to be with Him, for us to be more aware of Him being with us, and, and also hopefully being able to actually hear Him. But even if we don't hear from Him, just to enjoy worshiping Him and seeing Him for who He is. That is is kind of part of our biggest uh, priority with these evenings, and obviously that builds up towards Easter, where we're then doing Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night, and we're trusting for a very special Easter weekend. Right now, we are in part three of a four-part series in the series that we've titled Generosity. Last week, I took a look at how God is our provider. If you weren't here last week, seriously, I mean, I know we say this often, but please, seriously, please. Listen to the message. Go back and watch it, or listen to the podcast. Um, because I do feel like if we don't get that part, if we don't catch that part, then what I'm sharing today can actually can actually can actually be interpreted through a negative lens. Um, what 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 we'll sh- wrap up with next week could be interpreted through a distorted lens. Um, if we don't understand, if we don't capture how good God is, how kind God is, that He is our provider. And I just shared a, just a couple of stories last week of how I've seen that kindness and that grace. And by the way, just to be clear, it is, it's grace. We don't get to control God. We don't get to you know, turn a few dials and then He's within our control and He gives us everything we want and everything we can ask for. No, no. He is God. He's the master, we're the servant. But it is so encouraging to know that, that He's also a good Father who knows what you need and who genuinely does provide. Um, And if we can can allow that to get settled in our hearts, I think everything else becomes a lot easier as we look at some of the different topics. So today I wanna take a look at our response to his generosity to us. So today isn't so much about you being generous, I wanna take a look at our response to his generosity and specifically in the area that is known as a tithe. Now tithe, other than talking to people about sex, especially if they're in an inappropriate relationship. Tithe's probably the only other really sensitive topic that, that people get to engage in with another Christian or in a church context. And so I want to kind of debunk a couple of myths and try and hopefully help you grasp, again, a hard, and then allow God to help you understand some of the principles, and maybe some of the applications. Some of the stuff I might tell you might surprise you. Some of the stuff i tell you, chances are I'm gonna trigger almost everybody in a different way. There are gonna be people that are gonna walk away today thinking I'm not being hectic enough, and then the others are like, whoa, he spoke about money, that's hectic enough, as it is. Um, some people are going, like, there'll be a response, because we all have different lenses. We don't see the world as we are. We see, So we don't see the world as it is, we see the world as we are. We don't see the Bible even, naturally, often, as it is. We see it as we are, and so we look through our own lenses, our own, personalities, our own baggage, and so I just want to encourage you just to simply have a heart that says, God, help me to prayerfully reflect and help me to hear you. Manipulation is not from God. Me trying to control or dominate or tell you what to do, I'm telling you, that's not from God. That's from the other place. His heart is invitational, and what, want, and what I want to talk about today, I don't think is an issue of morality. I do think it's an issue of maturity and I think if your personality is anything like mine, it's a lot easier to have just black and white boxes to tick. Just give, give me the spreadsheet. Give me the graph. Give me the, the list of rules. And sometimes it can be a little bit more challenging when, when there's actually some nuance attached, some, some sensitivity and application attached. And that's what I just want our hearts to be open to today. I do want to be clear that the word tithe literally means tenth. It means a tenth. So so when you say um I don't know, I dropped off some Easter eggs for the uh for the Easter egg thing that they're doing at the church, like like hey, that's my tithe. That's not a tithe. That's a gift, that's a donation, that could even be an offering, but just so you know, a tithe is literally a ten percent of something. Now, again, hang with me to the end. Don't assume you know what I'm gonna say. Okay? I'm going to address the most dominant passage that I've ever heard mentioned in church, and then I'm gonna unpack a whole bunch of other stuff. Malachi 3 verse 10 is, without a doubt, the most commonly referred to passage of scripture in the Bible when it comes to the idea of tithing and tithing in the local church, et cetera, et cetera. So it says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. I just wanna mention a few things and tell you what I'm comfortable with. I'm comfortable with, with the word that it says, bring and not give. Many people would argue, and where I've landed personally is that I agree that I'm bringing God back the first portion of what he's given to me. I'm not giving it to him as though it's this gift. That's just where I've landed. You need to decide where you're landing. Tithe, as I said, means 10%. Storehouse in our New Testament context, in my Strong opinion is your local church where you are planted and I think everybody should be planted in a local church. Planted doesn't just mean that I attend occasionally or that I give consistently. I mean, planted is like we're engaged. We're in community. We are growing together. We're learning together. We're loving one another. We're forgiving one another. I mean, planted. And if, and if you can't do that in the church that you're attending, then find a church where you can get planted and where you're willing to bring your tithe so there'll be enough food in my temple. Just so you know, in the Old Testament, in fact, this might, yeah, I don't know if this will excite anyone. This might actually surprise you a little bit. There was more than one tithe in the Old Testament. For those of us that are excited to say we're not living in the Old Testament, which we're not, I just want to point out that that arguably there were three tithes. One tithe, one annual tithe was to provide for the Lord's workers, so the Levites, the temple priests, etc. Another tithe, so an additional tithe, was used for um, the poor, the under-resourced. And then a third tithe, sorry, sorry, that was, that was every three years that another tithe was brought for that. But then another tithe was brought every year, which was actually a tithe to basically party, to celebrate together. It's like once a year, bring, bring a, a tithe, a tenth of everything that you have harvested and everything that you've done, and we're going to celebrate together before the lord so when this particular passage says that there will be enough food in my temple i think it is referring to the fact that there will be resources there will be so the lord's workers can do the work of the lord we can celebrate together we can do the ministry together then he says if you do says the lord of heaven's armies i will open the the windows of heaven for you this is a part that i think has often been taken a little bit to an extreme I'll pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it, put me to the test. It is important to note that this is the only passage in the library of Scripture where God actually says that you can put me to the test. Now, we have to make sure that we're interpreting correctly. Sometimes there's hyperbole, sometimes there are metaphors. I'm not telling you, I wanna be very clear, that you bring anything. You bring your tithe, you bring bring 90%. I'm not telling you that if you do a that you're going to get millions in return. That's where we're trying to control God. But I would tell you that in my fairly lengthy experience, I've never known someone to put God first holistically in their lives, not perfectly, I wanna be clear, no one can do that perfectly, but holistically, where it's their heart, where they are trying to surrender their lives, trying to grow, and where they honor God with their money, all of it, and where that includes perhaps a tithe, I've never known someone in that situation to not have their needs met, to not have God provide for them, even when it is absolutely extraordinary and supernatural. So I'm just quickly, that's addressing the key text that so many people will refer to. Now, I wanna take a look at a bunch of myths, all right? Tithing myths. The first part might make you uncomfortable. The second part might make some people more comfortable. The first one is that it is not a get-rich-quick scheme. This is not buy a lottery ticket, scratch it out, and and every 10th lottery ticket is going to get you what you want. It's not a get-rich-quick scheme, which I do believe, so I'm acknowledging that there are some preachers, some pastors, there's some people on TV who I wish were taken off of TV who will make you think that if you just will give X donation, you'll get 10 times back or 100-fold back. And yes, they'll even refer to Scripture to to try and make their case. I'm telling you, we don't get to control God. It is not a get-rich-quick scheme. I mean, that'd be attractive if that were the case. But that's that's not who God is. And that is not what He is saying in any of the references that make reference to the tithe. And I want to acknowledge that there are many, many, many very, very, very wealthy people that do not honor God with their money. And I want to acknowledge that there are very, very many Christians that do honor God with their money and their lives that never get rich. Can we just accept that? So again, I want to be clear, we're not talking about a way to manipulate and control God. It is not a get rich quick scheme. Rob Kettling, a pastor and author says, I'm not giving so God will. I'm giving because God already did. In other words, we're not, giving, we're not giving a portion of anything back to God, whether it's 1%, whether it's a tip, whether it's a tithe, whatever, we're not giving anything back to God that he hasn't already given to us. I want that to be clear. We're not giving so that he will, we're giving because he already has. Number two, a second myth. It is not a salvation issue. This is not a salvation issue. This is not how you get God to love you more. This is not your Ticket price into heaven. God cannot love you more. And again, unless we can settle that, unless that becomes a reality for us, unless that moves from our head to our hearts, that there's nothing I can do to make God love me more. Guys, I'm just telling you, that changes everything. When I realize that there's nothing I can do to make God love me more, all I can do is respond. I can only respond to his love. I can only respond with some level of obedience, whether it's perfect, whether it's imperfect, whether it's atrocious, I can only respond. Tithing, giving, serving, being kind to one, these are not salvation issues, these are maturity issues. It is a discipleship issue, it is a lordship issue, it is a formation issue, and I would suggest that perhaps unlike anything else in our lives, money is where the tacky hits the tar. It's where, it's where the rubber hits the road. It's like, uh, I can say a whole bunch of stuff, but it's yes, like, this is so practical, real, material. It's, it's tangible. And so many have argued, and I would tend to agree, that, that, that how we handle our money holistically and including whether or not we subscribe to the idea of tithing. In many ways, it is a type of a test. It tests my faith. It tests my priority. It tests whether or not I'm just living for myself or if I'm living for a greater purpose, if I'm living for the temporary only or if I'm living for eternity. Billy Graham, the famous evangelist who passed away several years ago, said if a person gets his attitude about money straight, it'll help straighten out almost every other area of his life. Now, please don't be discouraged if that is a very difficult test for you. If it is a test for you, if that's causing tension, that means that you're probably on a journey. That's a good thing. Just like if you're dealing with conflict, if you're dealing with a forgiveness issue, if you're dealing with, with how to honor God with integrity at work when, when a whole bunch of other people are cutting corners and undermining you um, through means of, you know, that lack of integrity, these are all tests. These are the, and there's going to be tension because the temptation will be to handle something just like someone who doesn't follow Jesus would handle it. And that causes tension. I'm saying that's probably a good sign. If you're feeling any kind of tension, that's probably a point of invitation that God is trying to bring to your attention. And again, I've just got to say, when it comes to finances, there's probably little in our lives that'll test us more. That'll test our faith more. And yet, it's in that context. It's in the context of money, not tithing, in the context of money, that scripture encourages us. Hebrews 13, verse five. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. But there's a reason. For God has said, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. So I will have no fear. What can we people to me. It's in the context of money that this passage was saying, guys, God's got you. That doesn't mean that, doesn't mean that I can, that I, that I do my, my little tithe and then completely ignore God in every other part of my life and then I wonder why God's not protecting me or providing. No, no if, I'm to, if I'm going to do my tithe but I'm going to squander the rest. Okay, let's put it a different way. That's like a drug dealer tithing. I mean, that's cool on one level, but it's a little bit messed up if you're wanting the Lord to bless the rest of your drug-dealing business, because you think I'm joking. We have some neighbors that were finally kicked out after I don't know how many months of not paying rent. Uh, I'm not joking. If you think I'm exaggerating, I'm not. Uh, I think, I mean, there were quite a few people living there. I think that that they're running drugs, prostitutes, like all kinds of stuff. So the one day we come home, there are several police vehicles, like on our little sand patch in the front of our house and, and, and on the neighbor's. And I'm just hearing some guy screaming in the car, like, like with, uh, the police have him in the car. Jesus! Jesus! I mean, I thought they're beating him up or doing something, and then the police are like, it's okay, this is what he's been doing, we've called, you know found this, like it's like okay. I'm like, I mean, you can still call on Jesus, but that's maybe, like, You know, when the police left, I mean, the guy must have been released. I I, I, I can't, to this day, I can't tell you how many people lived there. There were just always a bunch of cars, and there were some that came and went all hours of the day and night. Um, I, I think I have good reason to believe the guy went straight back to what he was doing. Now, you can call on Jesus in the moment. I'm just saying that the rest of our lives probably need to kind of tie in. And if that is the case, I'm just telling you, I'm encouraging you that God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. And I've seen it, guys. I've been doing this. I've been doing this full time for 26 years. I've seen enough people, and I've walked with enough people for several years. And I, that's one of the, the benefits of being in one place, where you get to see people that you knew as kids that are now married with kids, and you see you see a trajectory, you see a history. And I've seen people that have no earthly means to provide for themselves. But in so many different ways, God has provided again and again and again. I'm telling you, I know enough people. I've seen enough stories. I've experienced it myself. God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. Now, here's another part to this particular myth. According to some stats from Relevant Magazine, in fact, bear with me. I want to just remember. Yeah. So according to some stats from Relevant Magazine, published in 2013 and then again in 2016. Listen to this for a moment. The title of the article was What Would Happen If the Church Tithed? And it came to the conclusion that somewhere between 10 and 25% of the worldwide church tithed consistently. However, if the church were to tithe fully, in other words, if every you know, Christ follower were to tithe fully, there would be an extra 165 billion, not million, million, billion dollars, not rands, that's like a gazillion rand, 165 billion dollars per year available for what God wants to do to fulfill his purposes on the earth. That's just if they were to tithe, not give over and above. That's just if we trusted God with the first tenth of what he's given to us. And then it goes on further to explain that it was calculated at 25 billion dollars every year could relieve global hunger, starvation, and deaths from preventable diseases in just five years. 12 billion could eliminate illiteracy in five years. 15 billion could solve all the world's water and sanitary problems, specifically in areas where people live on less than a dollar a day. And one billion dollars could fully fund all overseas missions work. And every year there would still, be, there would still remain an excess of a hundred billion dollars to pursue God's purposes. In other words, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's going on in our world. And when people ask the question, where is God? I think sometimes a better question to ask would be, where are God's people? We're not talking about the world. We're talking about Christians. We're talking about people who follow Jesus, that if more than 10 to 25% of people were to tithe, I think the world would be a very different place. I don't, this might sound a little bit radical. I think we would hardly need government. It's, certainly we wouldn't need governments from a social ground point of view. You, 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 I was talking to Alan earlier, his parents on PE. They've got no water. There's a whole long, complex story in the Eastern Cape, Eastern Cape being the, most poor, you know, the poorest uh, province in our country. There is, can you imagine what could be done if every Christian in South Africa tithed? And you look at things like the foster care problem, adoption, health, sanitation it's easy for us to get frustrated that the church isn't doing more but the church isn't the leadership i'm talking about the capital c church the church isn't just people that that happen to lead the church is us it's every person it's you and me and if you and i i'm just saying that a case could be made number three third myth it does not override poor financial management Can I say that again? Because I do think some people get a little bit disillusioned. By the way, having said that, I've got to be honest with you and tell you, I don't feel like we've ever been perfect. Perfect at shooting off. So I also don't want you to feel like, okay, maybe I can only trust God to look after me if I'm perfect. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about trying and growing and progressing and honoring God with your finances. But I can't tithe and then squander the rest and then wonder why God isn't blessing me. It's not protection money that you, that you pay to the gangs. So that, so that you kind of keep off, you know, it's, no, it's, it's bringing back a portion of what God has given to us. A fourth myth is I'll wait until it gets easier when I earn more. Now, those of you that have been, that, that have already been practicing tithing for many years, you probably would stand up and argue that it was a lot easier to tithe when you were earning 1,500 rand as opposed to when you were earning 15,000 rand. Or maybe you're someone that's earning 150,000, and and on the outside it's like, wow, that's a lot of money. That should be easy. But when you're looking at okay, 15,000 of 150, suddenly becomes a lot of money. So I just want to encourage you. Don't think it just gets easier. I think it's going to require more faith to 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 consider honoring God with a percentage of your income as the income increases. A fifth myth is I'll wait until God moves my heart. Now, I understand this. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not throwing any shade on anybody. I think that this is something that we have to settle in our hearts, that we have to pray into, that you have to think through, read the different passages. But, but guys, from month to month, if I'm waiting for God to make me feel warm and fuzzy every time you get a, a wage or a salary or, or, or whatever the case is, I just don't think that that's realistic. And I think that that's what happens if we're not in a habit, a habit, a practice of tithing. Then it, then it depends on whether or not someone from stage can move you enough, whether or not we can tell you a sad enough story, whether or not someone can inspire you enough. I'm just saying, that's not, that, I don't think that that's a healthy way to be trying to honor God with our income. I think that choices lead when it comes to this kind of thing. Choices lead and feelings follow. Number six, if you're following with us on the YouVersion notes, we've deliberately left some words out, so that you have to actually still pay attention and not just check it out at home and not come to church, is forget the sense, as in rands and sense, C-E-N-T-S, forget the sense. I'll tell you why I'm saying this, because I've, I've, I've noticed over the years that there would be people that, I can only imagine that they are very clearly tithing, like, like they're making sure it's a 10, it's a 10% when it gets to the sense. So it's like, whatever, let's just, say it's, uh, let's just say it's 426 rand and 17 cents. I'm like, hectic. Would it have hurt you to make it like a rand more? Or to you like round it up or round it down? So, 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 so here's a question I want you to ask yourself. What would it do to you to round it up to the nearest rand? Or 10 rand or 50 rand or 100 rand? There is no right or wrong answer, I'm just asking you. I'm asking you to consider what would that do to me? I also want you to consider what that says about your heart. Conversely, would you feel like suddenly God's protection is removed from you if you rounded it down to the nearest Rand, or to the nearest 10 Rand, or the nearest 100 Rand? I'm not telling you that you should or shouldn't. I'm I'm encouraging you to consider your heart. Jesus, not Jason, Jesus says in Matthew 23, verse 23, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and your Pharisees? Hypocrites. Listen to what he's saying. Hypocrites. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Now Jesus, was, just so you know, and this isn't the only time it's recorded. I'll show you another example in a moment in the book of Luke. This isn't the only time that, that Jesus' words are recorded as saying that, that we should tithe. But that wasn't actually the real emphasis of this particular point. This point here, he's saying, guys, you're being legalistic. You are ticking the box of, t- of tithing to the tiniest. In, in today's context, you're, you're tithing to the tiniest scent, but you are a jerk, or you're racist, or you're prejudiced, or you exploit your workers, or you... Or you um, you you get away with, with doing half the job and you and you basically are not delivering what you're supposed to deliver at work, or you or you have no heart for justice, mercy, compassion. You're not trusting me with your whole life. Jesus is saying it's not just about the tithe. And I think one of the ways to help us remember that is to get rid of the sins. I know this is so this is so pedantic, but for the love of everything, holy, get rid of the sins. Okay? And if that causes tension in you, that's okay. Lean into the tension. Ask God what that may or may not be revealing. Number seven, it's not an Old Testament issue. This is where it gets sensitive and controversial for people. I want to acknowledge that. I want to acknowledge that there are some different views. So allow me to just point out a couple of principles, and I'll tell you where I'm landing. Personally, not what you have to do. Because in my opinion, this isn't a legalistic issue. In my opinion, this isn't, a, uh, this isn't a salvation issue. I don't even think it's a morality issue. I think it's a maturity issue. But for people that think, okay, well, that was in the Old Testament law. We're no longer under the law, which is a valid question. I want to point out that it, was, that it appeared a few times in Scripture before the law was given, right back in Genesis. Abraham, I can give you these references if you want to take a look at it at a later stage. For time's sake, I can't give you everything. Abraham offered a tithe. Jacob offered God a tithe. This was 500 and 400 years before the law. Then the law was given that included the tithe. In fact, different tithes, more than just one tithe. As I mentioned earlier, there was a 10% for the Lord's workers, a 10% to have a feast and gospel. Can you imagine if everyone was giving so much that we could just have the biggest party in Cape Town once a year? Yeah, but that's a waste. Just saying. <laughs> and then, and then, as I said, every third year there was another tithe. And then, and then, in addition, there were free will offerings, thanksgiving, thanksgiving offerings, special offerings. I'm just telling you. At no point was it just you know the occasional tip. It also was addressed after the law. So before the law, it was the law. And then in the New Testament, we read about it after the law, which is the words that Jesus said in Matthew twenty-three, twenty-three, Luke eleven, forty-two which goes as follows, what sorrow awaits you Pharisees for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect more important things. So you've got Matthew, who was previously a tax collector, so he's going to care about the details, who's recording this. Luke, who was a doctor, also trying to keep an account for someone else, recorded this message. It also appears in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 8. I'm just saying that it wasn't just in the Old Testament, and it wasn't just a law issue. Now, this is where I land personally. As we conclude, don't anyone come up to play keys. That doesn't mean we're done in like 30 seconds. Just give me a couple minutes, okay? I know you all start switching off when someone's on the keyboard. Where's Tyrone? Is he here? Okay. Don't come up yet. You just lull them all to sleep when they think, okay, he's done. I am circling, but I'm not landing. Just, just relax. So, here are some best practices and principles. Um, guys, I'm so mindful of my position as a pastor. I, I can't, I cannot explain to you how seriously I take the responsibility and how cautious I am about not putting a yoke, a burden, a, a, something that, that becomes legalistic onto some people's shoulders. Like that is a genuine concern for me. I hate it when I see that done. I hate it when people feel like they're crushed under under a weight of pressure, manipulation, condemnation. I hate that. At the same time, on the other side of that spectrum, I've gotta tell you that there are times where I have felt convicted about the fact that new people could come to our church and be in our church for years. They're trying to follow Jesus. That they can be in our church for years and never ever hear any teaching on how do we honor God with our finances. I think this could be the second message in 26 years that I've ever preached on tithing, to give you some perspective. So I'm just just trying to give you my heart, and then I'm telling you that for me, these are some best practices. I think personally, personally, that we should approach our finances and either, however you wanna call it, returning our tithe to God or honoring God with, with offerings, whatever, under these three principles and practices. Priority, percentage, and it being progressive. I'll, let me explain each one to you very quickly. When it comes to priority, this is where I land. Our first response to God's provision is to bring back the first. That's my opinion. That's my conviction. And I feel like I can make a strong case for that throughout the Bible if we had more time. There's so many examples of where God encourages us to give the first part of our day, the first part of our week, which is what you, whether you you're else or not, historically, this is actually the first day of the week the first part of our year, the first part of our income. There are principles of first. When God took the Israelites into the promised land, it was very clear that the first town, the first city that they conquered had basically nothing to do with them. And they couldn't, and they couldn't keep anything. God, told, oh, just walk around. Just walk around a bunch of times. Don't say anything, because I know some of you, you're going to be negative. Some of you going to go, Some of you are going to discourage the junk out of each other. So just shut up for a week and walk. Okay, just walk. And then on the seventh day, make a mighty sound and the walls are going to come down. I mean, this was a, this was a fortress. God is making very clear that the first town, anyway, the principles of the first. So that's something that I, that I believe is a healthy principle and a healthy practice. It's also important to note that tithers don't have more money than non-tithers. They just have different priorities, If Sue and I were to wait until the end of the month to see what we have left over, to see what we, what we, can, what we can give to God, how many of you know what that story would look like? Now, that might say something about our, you know, our money management. That might say something about our priorities. Absolutely, it does. So that's why for, for me, I think it has to be the very first thing that we take off Now, again, I'm taking a risk because I know that this will bother some people and encourage others. Obviously, one of the questions that people have asked over the years is do you tithe before tax or after tax? The Bible doesn't tell us. And I've heard the same people, sorry, I've heard different people quote the same scripture, the same passage to argue completely opposing points. The one where Jesus said, give to Caesar what he seizes and give to God what he's got. So for some people, that's like, Well, the the tax, that's theirs. So let me give that to them, and then I'll tithe them what's left. And then for others, it's like, well, it's all mine, so let me give to them what, what I need to, and I'll tithe. So if you'll be kind to me, I'll just tell you where I land. I am at peace with tithing after tax. If that causes you to lose trust and credibility and integrity, I'm sorry. You'll find a church where the pastor tithes before tax. I'm just telling you. And again, I want to address our hearts in terms of technicalities. That was for free. All right, number two, it's a percentage. So it's priority, second, it's a percentage. And what that means is, again, if you, if you read throughout the Old Testament, God didn't expect the same, the same offering to be brought from people of, with different means. There was always, there were, there were offerings that, that needed to be brought for people that were wealthy, and then, and then there, there were offerings that could be brought from people that were less wealthy. But when it came to a tithe, it was, it was an equal percentage. So for someone to think, well, I'm giving 50 Rand. For someone to give 50 Rand can, can be a lot of money. For someone else, it's meaningless. I think that there's a reason why a percentage matters. A percentage, a percent, man, it's a portion. I'm sure some of you have been doing the maths already, if you haven't before. That's why some of you look like you're panicking and you're going pale. Again, can I remind you, this isn't a salvation issue. This isn't making God love you more issue. You can never tithe and God's never gonna love you any less than if you give 50% of your income. That should mess with your head. But I do think That me not giving, me not bringing back anything, I think it does affect the work that God wants to do in and through His church. I think it absolutely affects what happens in my heart. If nothing else, those two things. So it does have implications, but I want to be so clear: it has nothing to do with God loving you more or less. Can I? Can I? Okay, let me let me be really, 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 really blunt. I think that there are going to be many, many, many people that you're going to spend eternity with. They would never have tired a day in their lives. Hopefully that doesn't mess with your head too much. I would also suggest, though, that if that means, okay, whew, like, thank you, Jesus, I don't have to give anything, that that should also say something to you. All right, last principle is progressive. What I'm referring to here is that, um, again, thinking that this is a maturity issue, not a morality issue. There are people that, that earn sufficiently and as they go on through life, the, the, the needs decrease while the income either stays the same or increases. Maybe, maybe your family responsibilities change, kids out of the house, your, maybe your parents uh, have passed away and you no longer have to look. I'm, I'm saying that if you're earning the same or more 20 years later than when you needed 90%, I want, to, I want to suggest that God may invite you to progress for it to be a different percentage. Maybe that is specifically giving to a cause, to, to missions, to whatever, but I don't think, so per, this is where I'm landing, remember? I'm not telling you what you have to do. I, I just, I can't do that with integrity. And I promise you, that's not what I'm trying to do indirectly. I'm just telling you the tensions that I've wrestled over over the years and where I've landed. I'm landing, I've landed. Sue and I landed a long time ago. That, that, that a tithe is a starting point for us. It's not the end point. After the tides, there would be a lot of other stuff. I'll talk a little bit more about that next week where we try and exercise generosity and, and, and all of that. But guys, if, if Sue and I have got no, have got very little of the responsibilities that we have now, If your bond's paid off, kids out of the house, you don't have, you know, family to look after, surely generosity and faithfulness and stewarding my resources with God is gonna look different to when when every cent counts. Does it make sense? So that's what I'm referring to when I say progress. And just so you know, again, this might mess with your heads. I don't know of lots of people, but I've known of people that they call it reverse tithing where because God has blessed them so much, they're like, we can live off 10% and they give away 90%. That's not the average person. But just so you know, there are people that aren't asking the question, like how much do I have to give? They're, They're asking the question, how much do I need to live on? And they're trying to hold very loosely onto the rest. Tyrone, now you can come up and we can start transitioning. But don't change the lights, Ryan, I know you. Just relax. I'm sharing with you very personally in terms of my convictions, where I've landed, and these are things that I've wrestled over deeply, deeply on a personal level. I have to tell you, though, that in our lives, in my entire adult life, it does not make sense how God has looked after us, how God has provided for us. I mentioned last week that when I first sensed that God was calling me to the ministry, I was like, I don't know how I'm ever going to be able to live, but God, if it's you, like, you'll make a plan. When I first started working at our Tableview Church, um, I had some student debt that I was still trying to pay off in Australia, so there's an, there's an exchange rate attached. Not as bad as it is today, but it was still a lot more. And, uh, and I was, and, I mean, I was, I was a young guy, I, was, I started off on like a bit of a stipend, I wouldn't call it a salary. In fact, I think it took me about a month before I even realized I was employed. We weren't very organized back then. And and I was like, God, now my, my family lived in Durbanville. Um, I couldn't, I didn't have a car. I couldn't live there and and try and travel. Anyway, bottom line, long story short, a, a lady and a single mother in the church who had some kids close in age to me um, had an outside room. Uh, you, know, you know those outside rooms, right? It's like, this outside a little, little hockey and it's got a shower and whatnot that, that she's like, you can come and stay with us for, I think it was 300 rand. 300 rand a month, which included food, which for a young man really mattered. Um, and, and you might be thinking, yeah, 300 rand, that's a long time ago. It's not that long ago. It was, it was little. It was very, 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 like, it was an act of kindness. And I think I might have even been able to do my washing there. Like, guys, it was, it cost her, okay? Like, like, like I, this was not an equal deal. I had a bicycle so I could get around. Then uh, I think they sold the house, if I'm not mistaken, and they had to move. So now I'm like, oh. How, how many of you have had that where you see God provide? For me, that, that was a miracle, just so you know. Like, I'm, I'm saying these things like it's, oh, that, that happened, that happened. For me, it was like, okay, God. But how many of you have had God provide, and then you're like, well, now that's gone. And you, and you, have, and you struggle to trust Him for, to provide again. You don't have to put your hand up. You can just give me a little nod, a little wink. Okay, guys, I feel you. I've been there. Then, so, so they're selling the house. I'm like, I don't know where I'm going. Again, I, I'm paying, I think, I think I lived with 50 Rand for the rest of the month in terms of toiletries and other stuff. Like, I didn't have money to spend. I, was, I think I was sending 700 Rand a month to Australia, which meant nothing. It was like 10 Rand, $10 or whatever. But, but like, I didn't have anything else. I didn't have any margin. Then, two guys in the church who lived on the beachfront, like the beachfront, the only thing between the sea and their apartment block is the road. They had an extra room, and they allowed me to come over there. I think the church paid off the rest of my uh, student loan, which wasn't a lot at the time, but that allowed me to, to put that extra money in. And again, like they, I think I paid, let's just say, let's call it a thousand rand, which still was very little, even back then. And the one guy happened to be a chef. It included food, and it was good food. Guys, I'm living on the beachfront. I've got a bicycle, but I'm living on the beachfront, with a chef and it wasn't like I'm like thank you God you can't then like so all of these are pretty short things I think I think I think with the the family I think it was maybe six or seven or eight or nine months then this was maybe also another nine months then their lease runs out they've got to move out I'm like I thought it was too good to be true you know because I'm stupid like most of us it's like okay well so what now then some random lady that I've never met before, phones me the one day, um, I don't know if Betty Jean's yet. Is Betty Jean yet today, there you go, I think Betty Jean might have put her on, her on to me, I think, I think, I don't know, I just remember I was walking around Bayside, that's because Betty Jean's been around since Jesus, just so you know, so Betty Jean's been, <laughs> Betty Jean and the Lord, always, Betty Jean's always been here, okay, <laughs> Betty Jean, Betty Jean kept the church going when I first joined the church. Um, so this lady, I remember, I can remember to this day, guys, I mean, I'm, t- I'm talking, I'm talking 24, 25 years ago, I can remember where I was in base, i went to get this random phone call from this lady, she's like, hey, do you know anyone that's looking for a flat to rent? Um, I'm like, no, I'm the only person that's looking for a flat rent, but like, I know I can't afford it. She's like, well, you know, uh, do you want to come take a look at it? I, honestly, my first thought is like, what part of, I can't afford, you know, can, or, or not a, I, I was like, irritated. She's like, no, no, just come take a look. So I went to take a look, and, uh. I think a normal rent at the time would have been like 1200 rand a month. I said, politely, this time, look, I can only afford 600 rand because that's what I could afford if I still have to buy food and all the rest. And she's like, it's yours. You can have it. Um, then, by the way, just so you know, like this might not be that big a deal to some of you. To me, this was a big deal. I'm someone that does need my own space to replenish. I love people. I enjoy people like deeply 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 but some people are filled up being around a lot of other people other people are are filled up being apart from people and then can give out when those people i need i remember even at the young age thinking yes god i need a haven like i'm around people all the time so i'm getting to live in this place by myself those of you that know river hamlet is river hamlet you might not think that that's some posh luxury state i was like i'm a king of the world i was like this is amazing but then I felt bad after a while, and so I let someone move in with me so we could pay you know, the full rent and all the rest. And then we got married, uh, Sue and I, not the person moving in. Um, and so we lived there for the, for the first year. We couldn't afford furniture. Mike and Anne Larufo gave us, they lent us some furniture. Uh, guys, I'm just, listen, when I tell you that we couldn't afford anything, it's not hyperbole. We couldn't afford anything. Like our wedding was basically bring and share okay we we couldn't afford anything then we started feeling like it's a little bit cramped because it was, it was a 40 square meter flat so i mean it was, it's probably about the size of this stage like you know when you open the bathroom door you're like stepping to the bath to close the door so you can you know it, it, it was a little bit tight after a while i mean the the lounge you could kind of touch with all fours so so sue when we got married i had a car sue, a little car she sold that we could then put. That small payment per month towards the flat, we moved, to, moved into a, a flat that was a little bit bigger. Then <clears throat> the idea of buying a, buying a flat is like, oh, God, if only. God provides, we can buy a flat. Small flat, again, felt like, like, like we were king of the hill. We were, so, we were very, very grateful. And it was before the property boom, just so you know. I'm so sorry for those of you that have to buy into property now. At the time, I think it was like 200 and something thousand rand, uh, and we sold it like three years later, I think, for like 500 and something. That, that's the property boom, okay? I'm sorry. Not sorry for us, but sorry for you. Then, then Sue, because she's very materialistic, <laughs> I'm joking. You can, I can say that because she's not here right now. She's in kids' church, by the way. She isn't bunking. She isn't bunking. <laughs> um. Sue, to her credit, seriously, to her credit, she had a, um, we had Taylor already, and, uh, and Sue just had this desire for, for like a little house. Again, I don't have time to get into all the details, but part of my personality, it felt like that's very, I felt like that'd be cheeky for me to ask God for that. Financially, we couldn't afford it, but nonetheless, Sue, Sue felt confident enough, no, we can ask God, like, let's just at least check it out. We found a place in Sunnydale that we thought was amazing, um, but literally, we could afford two thirds of of the cost. And this, this is what I'm getting to. I can remember clearly the thought, the one day, thinking, because this was true, technically speaking, I remember thinking, if we don't tithe, in other words, if we use our tithe, we can afford the bond. I'm sorry, that's what I thought, okay? But again, God's very kind, very gracious, and almost almost as quickly as that thought entered my mind, I, seriously, seriously, I felt like God saying, Jason, you can't afford not to tithe, in the sense of you can't afford not to trust me. And this was, let's say, on the Monday, by the Friday, we had been given the extra third. That could just be, it wasn't a loan, it was just here, like, you can pay it off, and we could afford the rest of the bond. It's a crazy story, but I I, I remember so clearly having this sense of what what I thought I could afford over 20 years if I didn't tithe. God provided in five days. I don't ever wanna not trust God. I also wanna be very clear, major disclaimer. I'm not suggesting tithe and you're gonna get a house. Please, 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 guys, then you're missing the point. But I am telling you, and and we're not the only ones. There there are other people in this congregation where God has provided even even more ridiculously. I'm just telling you, I think that there are testimonies of tithers and there's stories of non-tithers. All I'm encouraging you to do is to lean into the tension if this causes tension and to ask God to give you clarity. This has to be a you and him thing. This is a maturity question, in my opinion, not a morality question. We're not telling you what you have to do. But I owe it to you as your pastor, if you're part of this church. If you're not part of this church, ignore everything I've said. But I think I owe it to you to at least encourage you to take this seriously and let it be a starting point. Come, let's stand to our feet. Let's pray together.